Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 63, page 579. A psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we remain standing, let me pray for us now. Our Father, we thank you that we can sing these words, that your word is clear. And so we do indeed ask that we would hear that clear word speaking to us now that the result would be that we would leave this place uh, with the psalmist earnestly seeking you, thirsting for you and longing for you, even in the darkest times of life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, it is uh, very good to see you here. And again, uh, let me add my welcome to that of Andrews and uh, encourage you to uh, turn out uh, something that's uh, tucked inside uh, the bundle that you were given on the way in, a little handout. I think you'll find that helpful as we go through uh, this psalm, Psalm 63, looking this week and next week at two psalms um, to help us in our relationship with God. Psalm 63. In one moment of madness, Jerry Sitzer lost his mother, his wife and one of his daughters in a car crash. A man, drunk and out of control of his car, smashed into the vehicle that Jerry Sitzer and his family were travelling in. Instantly, three of the people he loved the most were killed. And in this book, all about his loss, he writes, In one moment I was overrun by a torrent of pain I didn't expect. Jerry Sitzer writes amazing and profound things in here, but one of the most striking things for me is that even after such tragedy and such immense loss, Jerry Sitzer continues to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, In the preface, he writes these words. Loss is as much a part of normal life as birth, for as surely as we are born into this world, we suffer loss before we leave it. It is not therefore the experience of loss that becomes the defining moment of our lives, for that is as inevitable as death. It is how we respond to that loss that matters. The the psalm we have before us this morning is about responding to loss and suffering and difficulty 
and personal tragedy. In a week when the world has experienced the Boston Marathon bombing, uh, the explosion in West in Texas and the earthquake in China yesterday, we are all too aware of how suddenly tragedy can strike. In the last 20 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen some people experience the most terrible tragedies and struggles in life and yet continue to follow Jesus Christ with a, a joy and a deep devotion that is an inspiration. On the other hand, sadly, I've seen some who, as a result of personal suffering, suffering have turned their backs on God, blaming him for the, the, the struggles in their lives. But, you know, until I studied this psalm, I don't think that I could have coherently explained why some go one way and some the other. The heading at the top of the psalm tells us that this is a psalm of David, written when he was in the, uh, the desert of Judah. But it's not just knowing where he was, but understanding how he got there that I think opens this psalm to us. Uh, the background to this psalm is given to us in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 17. There's no need to turn to it now. But in short, David was being pursued by Absalom, his son. Absalom had plotted for four years to take the kingdom from David, and that plotting ended in a coup d'etat. Now, as David writes these words, he was on the run from Absalom, his own flesh and blood, who wanted to kill him because he wanted his throne. That's the backdrop to this psalm. David, uh, the Lord's anointed king, the king as he describes himself in verse 11, uh, David, the Lord's anointed king, was being hunted down like an animal. So David, in the desert, because of a plot to see God's king dethroned. Now put that way, we can see this is an attack by evil, an assault on God's chosen king. That's a battle that has raged since the beginning of time, a, a battle that began way back in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve because he wanted God's throne. It was a battle that we saw in all its ugliness when Jesus walked planet earth and men and women in league with the devil wanted God's king dead and hunted him down until they put him to death on a cross. And of course it's a battle that anyone who follows Jesus Christ today will, will experience. For as Jesus himself said to his disciples, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So that's what lies behind this psalm, evil attacking God's chosen king and therefore God's people and as Absalom pursued David David fled to the desert as we'll see from the heading and that's my first point on the handout in the desert verse one David was uh, literally in the desert the, the wilderness of Judah uh, look it up on an atlas and you'll see that it extended along the western shore of the Dead Sea and then northwards along the Jordan. It was a long and dangerous desert that spread out before David as he fled from Absalom. Now I presume most of us here have never been in that kind of situation, with, with literally with a desert uh, facing us. But we can picture the scene because we've watched natural history programs. We can see in our mind's eye the arid, unforgiving terrain, the energy sapping stifling heat we can imagine the desperate thirst that comes from being in end of verse one a dry and weary land where there is no water we can imagine it but what is so striking is that this is the experience of the king 
He had gone from the most luxurious comfort to the most awful discomfort, from the safety of the palace to being laid open to the elements, from, the, from having every mod con and immediate amenity to having nothing in the wilderness, from the security of the city to the constant threat of death, as you'll see in verse 9. And what happened to that king, David, again, is a picture of what happened to the king, Jesus. He came from heaven to earth. In heaven with his father, he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. He left the splendor of heaven to experience all the struggles of earth. What do we read? The son of man had nowhere to lay his head. We read of the Pharisees and the Herodians, two groups who hated each other, united in their hatred of Jesus as they plotted to kill him. Our king, Jesus, knows what it is to be in the desert. He knows it better than us. And so as we follow him, and as we too experience life in the desert, we have one who sympathises with our weaknesses. David then was in the desert and he experienced the the discomfort of of life-sapping thirst. But of course it wasn't just a physical desert that led David to write this psalm. David was in a stressful, hostile and, and dangerous situation. He was in a situation that that sapped his emotional and spiritual strength too. Imagine it, his own son had betrayed him, wanting to kill him. And in that situation, see what he does, verse 1. He prays, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In a situation where he feared for his life, he longed for God as thirsty people long for a drink. Again, it's exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus faced his death on the cross, as evil did its worst and tried to eliminate the king, Jesus cried out to his father. It's what he always did. That's what we're seeing here in this psalm. Here is God's king crying out to his God. Verse 1, O God, You are my God. I love that opening line because it's so personal. It's deeply intimate. You are my God. And I love it because the opening line tells me how I should respond when I'm in the desert through a change of circumstance or ill fortune or human hostility or any kind of tragedy. When life is tough, when everything has been stripped away from me, when I feel alone and don't know where to turn, when the path ahead looks bleak and dry and never-ending, then I should cry out to my God. Uh, A few years ago now, a a friend of mine passed on uh, some daily prayers. I have them at the beginning of my prayer diary. I pray them often. I found them very helpful and encouraging and inspiring to pray. One of the prayers goes like this. Father, help me to pour out my heart to you when I'm distressed, stressed, disappointed, hurt or depressed and to find compassion and comfort in times of trouble. I've been so helped by that prayer and I need to keep praying that prayer because When I'm in the desert, it is rarely my first experience, my first response to pour out my heart to God. Or as in verse 1 here, to seek God and to long for him. But here is King David and there was Jesus, the king, crying out to God, longing for God, seeking after him. 
Just feel the strength of these words. Verse one, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Seeking, thirsting, longing. Of course, as David prayed this prayer, he had nowhere else to go. No one else to turn to. He was in the desert. He feared for his life. That is actually why being in the desert can be our friend. I don't often find myself turning to the Lord with this depth of desire when things are going well. The Lord is not always the first one I turn to when life is just chugging along, when everything is tickety-boo. But when things are tough, really tough, well, then I realise my complete and utter dependence on the Lord Again, listen to the words of uh, Jerry Sitzer. Uh, He writes these words. Deep sorrow often has the effect of stripping life of pretense, vanity and waste. It forces us to ask basic questions about what is most important in life. There is no question that David knew that in the desert. This is all about understanding priorities. Uh, The second line there in verse 1, which the NIV translates earnestly, appears in other translations as early. I like that, early, quickly, first thing. It's not just that in the desert he was earnest in seeking God, it's the first thing to do. Now again, we saw that in Jesus while he was here on earth. Very early in the morning, we read, while it was still dark, he went off to a solitary place to to pray. Now, no, there's nothing more spiritual about praying first thing in the morning, but, but praying first before doing anything else does say something about our priorities and about our understanding of ourselves. When I'm in the desert, I realise that. I am not self-sufficient. I live in a hostile environment. I am in a spiritual battle. Before I, uh, I need anything else, I need my God. I need to seek him all the time. Now, I can demonstrate that by making him the first one I turn to at the very beginning of the day. That's what David did in the desert. In the desert, then, David's present experience. Secondly, and uh, over the page, if you're still on the handout, In the sanctuary, David's past practice. And this is verses two to five of the psalm. In these verses, in verses two to five, it is these verses that help me to grasp why in suffering, some people respond by turning to the Lord. Now, sadly, that isn't always the case, that, that desert experiences result in people seeking and thirsting and longing for God. You don't have to have been around Christian things for long to know that it's sometimes the really hard experiences that see people walking away from God, giving up the Christian life. A previous boss of mine, Wallace Benn, often said that times of trouble make people bitter or better. As people encounter hard times, either in bitterness, they turn away from God, blaming him for everything that's happened to them. Or in the desert, they become better, become more like Christ, becoming more trusting of the Lord, more earnestly seeking God and thirsting for him and longing for him. And you see, it's verse two that shows us why David turned to God in the desert and not away from him. I don't think I've ever seen this as clearly as this until studying this psalm. David says, verse two, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. 
See, this is the point. Long before David was in the desert, he had spent much time in the sanctuary, as he puts it. He'd gone to the temple and met with his God. And there in the sanctuary, he had seen, you see, verse 2, God's power and his glory. The point is this. David knew God intimately long before he went through and in the desert. He knew how good it was to know God, verse 3. Your love is better than life. That's quite a thing to understand when your life is in danger. It's because David knew God intimately and personally and powerfully in the good times, in the times of peace and in the times of security. It's because David knew God in his own experience before he was in the desert that now that he was in the wilderness, he wanted God more than anything. That's verses 2 to 5. Look what he discovered before he went into the, into the desert. Verse 3. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. So do you see verse 1? Now David's soul thirsts for God because, verse 5, he knows that God's in God, his soul will be satisfied as with the riches of foods. Can you see the big point? The people who continue to praise God in the desert are those who got to know God in the sanctuary before the desert experience. Again, we see it supremely in Christ. Jesus knew his father in the throne room of heaven from eternity. He was in perfect fellowship with his father before he came to earth. And before he experienced the devilish desert experience of being hunted down like a wild animal. When he was tempted by the devil in another desert, he said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from God. Jesus knew that life was about so much more than physical food. And that real abundant life could only be found in God. His experience of his father before he took on human flesh was what he drew on when he was in the desert. Now, while we have never experienced what the eternal son experienced with his father, still, through the work of the son on the cross, we can spend time with our father. We can enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We can draw near to God. We can come freely into the sanctuary. And we can do that before we find ourselves in the desert. Indeed, we must, this psalm tells us. We must use the present to get to know God so that when the future desert experiences come, we will instinctively turn to God. And you know, desert experiences will come, won't they? If this week of tragedies hasn't uh, reminded us of that, then just look around at people as they get older. It just gets harder. Knowing God then, knowing verse 3 that his love is better than life and verse 5 that in him our souls will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, knowing those things are crucial for when the desert times come. It's when we've met our God in the sanctuary and we know his power and his glory that we'll seek him in the desert. Firstly, in the desert, God's, David's present experience. Secondly, in the sanctuary, David's past practice Third, in the night, David's immediate concern. This is verses 
6 to 8, verse 6. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, writes David. I love this because it is so real. You see, you look at David's, David's writing, his faith. You say, oh, I never have faith like that. And then you read verse 6 and you think, no, that is exactly what I'm like. In the desert, as he lies on his bed, David is sleepless. Well, of course he is. He's running for his life. He doesn't know if he's going to wake up the next morning. Even though he knows that God is everything to him, it doesn't mean that he's not fearful of the situation and of the threats that surround him. Don't we see exactly the same with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? As everyone else slept, he cried out to his father. He trusted his father, but he was still fearful of what lie ahead. Remember his words, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering from me. Trusting God doesn't mean that we're not fearful in death. David was, and it kept him awake at night. But look what he did at night. On my bed, verse 6, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I don't know what it is, whether it's an age thing or, or, or something else, but in the last few years, I found myself often waking in the night. There was a time in my 20s and 30s, I'd not wake for anything. I could sleep for England. Now, I know that on occasions it's a result of stress and pressure. I toss and turn and the time seems to drag. Sleeplessness is very trying. And when I just can't sleep, I get up and make myself a cup of tea. Busy myself with little jobs, unload the dishwasher, do a pile of, the pile of ironing that's on the side. And when I can't sleep, well, somebody's got to do it eventually, haven't they? When I just can't sleep, I, I, I watch the shopping channel. What a waste of time that is. Do you do that? Don't bother. What a difference from David. In his sleeplessness, verse 6, he thought of his God. He writes, because, verse 7, you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That's the way to use a sleepless night. Thinking of God. But again, it's not something that will instinctively happen if you've not done it in the daylight, in the good times, in the sanctuary. When you have met your God in the sanctuary and know him intimately, when you know of his power and his glory, his love and his protection, then in the sleepless nights, you'll find your heart singing, verse 7. Again, I love the language and the pictures here in verses 7 and 8 because uh, these words are so intimate verse 7 David knows security in God because you are my help I will sing in the shadow of your wings under the shadow of your wings I love that it's the picture of a bird protecting its young the shadows in the night play on your mind but here's a shadow that gives you peace of mind how reassuring for David as he slept under the stars As he felt really vulnerable in his sleepless night, he thought of the protection of God that felt uh, and felt covered by his wings. Again, it reminds me of the words of Jesus as he spoke of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, who, who who were sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That's what our God is like. And then note uh, that word in verse 8, clings. My soul 
clings to you. It's the same word as in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, 24, that, that we translate cleaves. It speaks of the bond of marriage when two come together, uh, leaving their parents and cleaving. Well, in verse 8 here, the believer clings to God, cleaves to God as his right hand, God's right hand holds on to him. Again, it speaks of the intimacy of relationship with God. It's like a marriage. And it is the most wonderful thing to know when we face a sleepless night, going through the desert, feeling vulnerable. I'm protected by him. His wings are covering me. I cling to him. I cleave to him. And he holds on to me. In the desert, David's present experience. In the sanctuary, David's past practice. In the night, David's immediate concern. And fourthly, in the grand scheme of things, David's future perspective, verses 9 to 11. In the most desperate of situations... In the desert, fearing for his life, not knowing how the next day will pan out, or even if he will make it to the next day, David has this most remarkable perspective. He can see the long game. Again, before we look at it, I'm sure he got this from his time in the sanctuary, meeting and knowing his God. In the grand scheme of things, David knows that there is no future in being an enemy of the king. Look at verse 9, and as we read these, these verses, remember it is God's anointed king who is speaking these words. Verse 9, they who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. That is the destiny of those who are against God's king. Death and destruction and the humiliation of being food for jackals. Judgment will come upon all who are not for God's Christ. Again, it's what Jesus knew. He knew that those who sought his life would themselves be destroyed. And David knew that as king, his future was certain, verse 11. The king will rejoice in God. The king will be king. Whatever it looks like, the king will be safe and will rule and one day will be rejoicing in his God. And, verse 11, second second line of verse 11, All who swear by God's name will praise him. It's not only the king, but all who follow God's king will be kept for a final day when we will praise him forevermore. Knowing the grand scheme of things makes such a difference. It doesn't take the problems away. It doesn't take you out of the desert. But it does say, I know eventually where all this is leading. That's how we keep going through the desert through those deeply troubling times, those struggles in life. It begins by spending time with our God in the sanctuary before the desert experiences come. There we get to know our God, beholding his power and his glory. Knowing him, we know that our soul is satisfied in him alone. And so when everything is stripped away, we know where to turn. I can still be satisfied knowing that he wins and that his king and his followers will rejoice in him forever. Knowing all that when we're in the desert we'll find ourselves praying with David, verse 1, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
Let's pray together. Our Father, in a congregation this size, we assume that there are a number of people who right now feel as if they are right in the desert. And we pray for them. We pray that the intimacy of this psalm would be their experience as they cry out to you. They would know the shadow of your wings comforting them. They would know your right hand upholding them as they cling to you. For others of us, we know there will be a time in the future when we are equally in the desert. And we ask you to help us to learn the lesson of this psalm. Please, Heavenly Father, to seek you, to get to know you deeply before the desert experience comes. That when it comes, our immediate response will be to turn to you, to seek you, to long for you, and to thirst for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.